Well, the countdown to Christmas is officially on, if you didn't know. And I tell you something about these next four weeks. Um, these next four weeks can either be a great thing, or they can be something that's maybe not so great. If we get these next four weeks right, we have an opportunity here to experience the wonder of this season. We got an opportunity to, to experience memories. We have an ex- opportunity to experience moments that can deepen our faith, that could bring us closer together as family and friends, as a church. Or there's also the opportunity here for us just to end this season and just be exhausted and relationships be strained even more. There's so much possibility on one side and the other. Well, we've got one more video to show you before we get started this morning. It's a video that went viral um, about a year ago. Maybe some of you have seen it. In 2017, the city of Atlanta was going to tear down their existing dome because they had a brand new dome. So they're about to say goodbye to the Georgia Dome. And when the Georgia Dome was built, and I think it was in the 90s, it wasn't that long ago, in the 90s, it was the second largest covered stadium in the world. And so there's a whole lot of memories that people had inside that dome. There was a Super Bowl there, all kinds of events, all kinds of concerts. But the city had a brand new stadium, one with a roof that didn't leak. And so they made plans to take down the old dome. And the method that they were going to use to take down the old dome is a method called implosion. And I hear it's really something. If you get a chance to see an implosion, it's pretty impressive. Because what happens is you get a whole lot of these experts in demolition, and they go in and they strategically place explosives. And they place them in such a way, and they set them off in such a way, that instead of the thing exploding out, it implodes in, and everything kind of falls in on itself. So this is a momentous occasion. For people to say goodbye to the Georgia Dome, to see this implosion. And so people put this date on their calendar. They marked that moment. They got out there with their cameras rolling. And what you're about to see is real footage. This is real footage from a camera crew. I think it was from the Weather Channel. They sent this camera crew out there to capture this moment. So they got there ahead of time. They set the camera just perfect. They even started rolling their tape 40 minutes before the implosion was started. So that at the moment it came everything would be perfect. And here's what happened. Let's go ahead and roll this, this video. Parents are thankful that those bombs sounded like beep, right? How many of you ever felt like this at Christmas time? Right? You've got all your plans. They could be the big macro plans of this is the year that I want to soak in the real meaning of the season. Or it could be those little moments where it's the, the food not going right or the plans not happening or something happening. Things get in the way, don't they? They get in the way. And this series that starts today is to help us not miss the moments, even when bulbs break and even when things don't go as planned. How do we not miss 
the moments. That's what this is about. So let's get started. If you got your notes, I want to encourage you to take out your blue insert and, and let's start writing some things down. The first thing I would encourage you to write down is this. The Christmas season can be wonderful. It can be wonderful, as in full of wonder. Some of my best memories are associated with this time of year, and I know many of you feel the same way. You know, I think about how this time of year when the snow comes, it's still fresh, right? And many of us have great memories of Christmas break, getting out there and playing in the snow. Or memories of Christmas movies and plays and productions. Or memories of special lights and special treats and special foods. Memories of playing games, hosting events, lots of laughter. Moments of choosing and wrapping and receiving and unwrapping gifts. And then when it comes to faith, this season can be filled with so much wonder. As we see these ancient prophecies coming to pass, as the almighty and eternal, we read, visited us as a child, coming together as a church family, singing Silent Night, the candlelight. This is a wonder-filled season. As wonder-filled as you're going to find. It's a season to gather with family and friends. It's a season to create and build on traditions. It's a season that celebrates caring and generosity and so many good things. It's a season that commemorates one of the most wonder-filled moments in history. And I thought about this too. It's a season where every one of our senses is engaged. Sights, smells, sounds, taste, touch. Christmas season can be wonderful. And, there's a place to write this down too, Christmas season can be stressful. As I mentioned earlier, the most wonderful time of the year can also be the most expensive, it can be the most exhausting, it can be the most emotionally draining. Which then brings us to the next question that we've got in your notes. Would you like to experience more wonder and less stress? this Christmas, this season. That's what the series is about. And I, I want to start here too. Let's talk about this last series we were in. The last series we were in was the book of Amos. And in that series, we read a prophecy about a long season of silence that was to come. Well, that prophecy came to pass. That prophecy about the silence. And for about 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, you got about this 400 years where we don't have any recorded words from God through any of the prophets. Well, this series, we're going to pick up as the word started to speak and as the word broke in. And the text that we're going to use for the jumping off part of this series, then, is going to be the book of Luke. The book of Luke. Now, the book of Luke, one of the reasons we chose this one is it is so full of wonder stories. All the Gospels have wonder stories, but this one in particular, Luke seems to highlight the fact that this is wondrous, the things that are happening. And what would be interesting sometime, if you want to do it, is go on a, a search tool, a search engine of the Bible, type in words like amazed, type in words like, you know, astonished. I typed in the word marvel, marvel in just Luke and look at some of the hits that I got. This is just from one book of the Bible, the book of Luke, when I typed in the word marvel. This is from Luke 2.33 and this comes when Jesus was still an infant and people were saying all these things about Jesus. We read in Luke 2.33 and his father and his mother marveled about the things that were said about him. And when Jesus was an adult and he visited the synagogue in Nazareth, we read this in Luke 4.22, all spoke well of him and marveled 
at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And when Jesus calmed a raging storm by rebuking the wind and the waves, we read this in Luke 8, 25. They were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. When Jesus rebuked an unclean spirit and healed a boy, we read this in Luke 9, 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to the disciples, dot, dot, dot. When Jesus healed a grown man who couldn't speak, we read this in Luke eleven fourteen. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the man, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. When the scribes and the chief priests tried to catch Jesus in a trap, but couldn't. We read this in Luke 20, 26. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. When the tomb was empty on the third day, we read this in Luke 24, 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what happened. And when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, we got this one last one here. We read this in Luke 24, 41. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, Jesus said to them, do you have anything to eat? And they did not give him lutefisk. You cannot find it anywhere in the Bible. Well, if you open pretty much to any page, in fact, I challenge you to do this, open up to pretty much any page of Luke. Drop a pin, and within inches of that pin, you're going to find a wonder story. Something wondrous that Jesus said. Something wondrous that Jesus did. And what we're going to do, since this is the Christmas season, we're going to focus on Luke, just chapters 1 and 2 primarily. And we're going to look in there and look at the wondrous things leading up to Jesus' birth and the wondrous things that happened at his birth. So, if you have your Bible... Please open with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look first at verses 1 through 4. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to go home with one free today. We keep a stack of them right there on that table in the back. We'd love for you to, to take a Bible home. It's a gift to you. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is how Luke opens this account, this wondrous account. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke is about to open this wondrous account and he opens with a wondrous opening. Those who study language, in particular those who know their first century Greek, they say this right here, what we just read, if you were to read this in the original Greek, this is one of the finest examples of excellence in Greek literature that you'll find anywhere during that time. Luke spent a lot of time crafting this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And one of the scholars, they likened it to this. They said, if you're going to build an amazing building, you make a grand entryway because you want to send a signal that says, come on in, because what you're going to experience in here is absolutely amazing. 
Luke is about to share some wonder-filled events. And he signals, not only is this going to be wonder-filled, he signals too, what you're about to hear, as wondrous as it sounds, this really happened. He signals that. And the people, as you're going to see, there's all kinds of names, places, all these things, where people who wanted to fact-check Luke, they could have went to fact-check Luke. And one of the things that's especially remarkable about the book of Luke, one of the reasons I love it so much, is we're able to fact-check a lot of Luke. Because there are other historians that confirm what he says from the first century. There's also these names, these dates, these places, these events. These facts that he includes were, were, were real facts. And so it appears as though he's going the extra mile to say, not only are these things wondrous, these things really happened. This bears the mark of a text of things that really happened. All right, let's pick up uh, where we left off, verses 5 through 6. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, surprisingly, at least to those of us who know the story, he doesn't open with the name Jesus. In fact, Luke doesn't even mention the name Jesus for, I think it's 30 verses or something like that. Instead, he opens with this account of a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, who lived in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Now, Herod is an individual that we'll circle back to from time to time because there is so much history around this guy. But just for our purposes here today, what's most relevant right now is that Herod is not a God-fearing man. Not at all. He was appointed by Rome. And although Herod was the one who constructed this magnificent temple for the Jews in Jerusalem, Herod didn't want God to actually show up in it. He did not want that at all. Well, after establishing that Zechariah and Elizabeth are different than Herod, they are living God-honoring lives, Luke lets us in on something very personal, very personal about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here it is in verse 7. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were advanced in years. Now, in that time and in that place, if this were the case, people would have looked at those people and they said, that couple is cursed by God. That's what the belief was back then. Because children were so important for so many reasons. They thought if you didn't have kids and you're getting old, now past the point of having kids, it's because you were cursed. And one of the things I made a note of here for our purposes is at some point, it's going to be important for us as a church to really dive into what the Bible says about marriage, what it says about singleness, what it says about kids. Because so much of what we've adopted is kind of what they've adopted in their time, and that is all kinds of beliefs that come from the culture rather than from God himself. You know, because was it, was, was, were Zachariah and Elizabeth not having kids because they were, had some secret sin? No. Luke goes the extra mile to say that's not the case at all, right? As, as much as any couple could be living a God-honoring life, they were as blameless as two people could be in a fallen world like ours. Luke spells that out. Okay, so let's continue on. Luke must be setting something up here, something wondrous. Verses 8 through 10. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division, remember that word, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, 
he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. All right, there's a whole lot of history to unpack here that helps us experience the wonder a little bit more. First thing I want to note is the role that the temple plays in Luke. There is an entire layer here that would be worth exploring. Why? Because Luke opens in the temple. Does anyone know where Luke closes? In the temple. And then in between, there's all these intersections between the temple and Jesus and the story. Even some of the parables. So that'd be a very interesting uh, lane to track down sometime. Now, when it comes to these priests, there were about 18,000 priests who had temple responsibilities. 18,000 of them. Now, some of them were chief priests and they resided right there in the temple. But there were most of these priests, most of the 18,000, they lived somewhere else. And they would come when it was their time to serve. These divisions that they're talking about here, these divisions, there were 24 of these divisions that these 18,000 priests were divided into. And each division served a one-week shift two times a year. The exception were major festivals like Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. In those times, all the divisions served. So, because there were 18,000 priests, there's only 365 days a year, you start to do the math and you realize to get a chance to be the one who gets to go in and, and offer up that incense inside the temple. That's a big deal. That's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. So picture this. Zachariah is chosen out of 18,000 people. He gets to go into the holy place, it was called. Not the holy of holies, but he got to go into the holy place by himself. He got to burn incense. And think about this. Here's Zechariah. He's lifting up this incense to God. And as he's doing that, thousands of people are praying outside. And so even as the smoke and the smell is going upward, it's, it's symbolic of these prayers that are going upward from thousands and thousands of people. Can you imagine being in that moment? That's a big, big, big moment. And while Zechariah was offering up the prayers for Israel... Prayers that hadn't received a prophetic response in 400 years. This happens. Take a look at this. Verses 11 and 12. And there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. I mentioned this a couple times recently. I love how honest the Bible is. I love how they set Zechariah up as this man of God. He's blameless. And when the angel comes, he's troubled and he's afraid. I love how honest the Bible is. All right. Verse 13 says this. But the angel said to Zechariah, or no, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Oh yeah. But the angel said to him, verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now this is remarkable. Because as Zechariah is going in there and he's offering up these prayers, these are the prayers of the people. I mean, he's lifting up the prayers of the nation of Israel. And God is about to answer that prayer in a 
cosmic way. All of history up until this point was moving towards this moment when the Son of God was about to come in. And that moment was so remarkable, history is divided over it. So God is about to work on this cosmic scale. And what does the angel say to Zechariah? He says, your prayers have been heard. And he mentions a very personal prayer. A prayer that doesn't, at least to Zechariah's knowledge, affect all the people. It's a prayer that he and his wife had probably been lifting up for years. The prayer is, God, would you give us a son? Would you give us a child? God heard that prayer. Would you repeat after me? God hears my prayers. There's times where you need to repeat that in your head. There's times I need to repeat that in my head. God hears my prayers. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. But God hears every prayer and he answers every prayer. Even when there's all these other prayers all around us, that's who God is. He cares about all of us and he cares about each of us. That's our God. That's our God. All right, verse 14. Let's go 14 through 17. And the angel continues on. He says, I've heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. You'll call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people pre Prepared. All right, after 400 years of silence, God speaks through one of his messengers, his angel, and what God has to say is wondrous. As in the days of old, at the time of Abraham and Sarah, or Jacob and Rachel, as was the case with Samson, Samuel, Moses, another miraculous birth was about to take place. And Zechariah wasn't just going to have a son. Zechariah was about to have a son who would be like Elijah. And I want to show you something new that I just learned this week. This is fun. How many of you know the last book of the Old Testament? If you know it, say it out loud. What's the last book of the Old Testament? Malachi. Very good. Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Look at what is spoken through the prophet in what we have as the last book of the Old Testament. So the last, one of the last things prophesied before the time of silence is this. Malachi 3.1. Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come where? To his temple. And the message of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. That sounds about like anything that we just read. Oh, it gets even better. Look at this. Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Does that sound at all like anything the angel just said? This came to pass. That child grew up to be John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. The angel earlier had said this, this guy will be great. 
And in Luke 7, 28, Jesus himself says, no one's been born that's greater than John. Could Herod keep God out of the temple? No, not at all. God was going to do things, great things, wondrous things. All right, let's look at verses 18 through 19. So Zechariah hears all this, and Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. One of the things that you'll see as you look up the word amazed and words like that in the Bible, at least what I could find, I could only find two places where Jesus was amazed, where it says that Jesus was astonished or amazed. I can find all kinds of places where people were marveled, astonished, amazed. I can only find two places. One of them, it says Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. One of the two times. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, here you've got Zechariah. He's where he's supposed to be. The prayers are going up. The prophecies are being answered. An angel shows up. And Zechariah's like, so, how can I be sure that this is really going to happen? And Gabriel provides a sign that is both a reprimand for Zechariah's lack of faith, but it is also, that same sign is also confirmation that the prophecy will come to pass. Here it is, verse 20. It says this, And behold, the angel says to Zechariah, You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Let's read also verses 21 and 22. And the people were waiting for Zechariah outside the temple, and they are wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision. And then this cracks me up. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. Can you imagine playing charades with this one? You know? They're like, a bird had a baby? No. I'm horrible at charades. Horrible. Horrible. Picking up with verse 23 and 25. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Gabriel's got another stop on the journey, doesn't he? And that's what we're going to pick up next week. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Because Gabriel's got another announcement, this time to a young woman. And his news for her. And this child, it's even more wondrouser than what we just read there. Now a case can be made that every newborn's cry is a wonder moment. As is every sunrise, as is the changing of seasons. But this season is as wonder-filled as you're going to find. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. Let's soak this in. And when I say let's soak this in, let's not just soak this in in the historical sense. Let's do that, but let's do that and. Let's focus on the wonder of what happened when the word became flesh and all around that. Yes, and let's remember that God wants to break into our world too.
He has broken into our world. Emmanuel, God with us. On the Christian calendar, Advent is the start of the new year. And God wants us to start this year right. He wants to help us start this year right. There's always a danger coming off of a series like the one we just came off of on human trafficking where we come off that series and it's so heavy that we can misrepresent this series and think, oh, this one's a light one, this is a softball. If we don't get this right, we don't get that right. Can I get an amen? If we don't start this year centered, then we can have all kinds of good intentions, but our good intentions can quickly fall into something else. Starting this year right, inviting Christ to come into our lives to lead us and to guide us. Jesus said himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he says. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It starts, it starts with this. There's a place to write this in your notes. We can start the new year crazy, or we can start the new year centered. And with hindsight, I should have just left that first blank blank. Because for some of us, that's our choice, right? There is so much coming our way this time of year. So much with work and school and jobs and, 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 and home stuff. We, for some of us, the right word is crazy. This, this could be starting the year crazy. But for others, it could be afraid. And maybe you need to write that in there instead. Maybe there's things that you're fearing going into this year. Or maybe your word is confused. So much to be confused about. Or maybe yours is without hope. Whatever your blank is, we can start there or we could start centered. We can start by looking at this God who loved us enough to come into our world, into our mess. And the same God invites us to receive him into our lives. This series, it's not an overstatement to say it can frame all the series that follow it. Just as this season can frame all the rests. And I had an example of this happen in, in my life that just helped me anyway put these pieces together. I, I've never had a chance to see a dome implode before. But I did have a dome experience last week that got me thinking about this message. I, my youngest daughter plays soccer. And last weekend, we had a game scheduled at the Dundas Soccer Dome in Dundas, Minnesota. I didn't even know there was a Dundas, Minnesota, but evidently there is. Have you, if you've been to Dundas, could you raise your hand? Okay, look at that. See, it's this real place. I didn't know there was a Dundas, Minnesota. And I certainly, as I looked it up on the map, I'm like, there can't be a dome in Dundas. It's like one of those tiny dot towns, right? But what did I do? Before I started my trip, I typed Dundas into my GPS and it plotted out a course, which seemed very reasonable as I'm going down 35. It seems like that's a reasonable route to a dome. But then it had me turn off on exit nowhere to some cornfields. And we're going through these fields and I'm like, really? Driving through the fields. And then I get to downtown Dundas, which made downtown Hastings where I grew up. You know, Hastings looked like Chicago compared to Dundas. But sure enough, we took like two rights and a left, which is pretty much the edge of Dundas. <laughs> and there was a dome. There was a dome in Dundas. 
just as my directions had pointed me to. And it's a good thing that we got there because the soccer team is 11 and Andra made 11. And I was thinking about all these things. And I was thinking about that whole 11 piece. God has plans for each and every one of us. This isn't just about you. This is also about us. There's a world that needs more people who are more like Jesus. And before we start a new year, imagine if we consciously reflected on what had happened and we consciously received a God who still breaks into our world. And we started our year like that. We're going to do our best we can as a church to help with that. Each and every week, we're going to dig into Luke. We're going to sing these great songs and we're going to provide some practical tools for all of us to be able to apply this season. So I hope you can make it. If we get these next four weeks right, we can experience wonder-filled moments and create wonder-filled memories that will deepen our faith and bring us closer together as friends, as families, as a church. Moments and memories that will help us start the year anchored to the things that matter most. Anyone want to start your year like that? I do. If that's the case, i got good news for you. Here's the last thing we want to encourage you to write down in your blanks. And this comes right out of what we read earlier. Don't be afraid. Because your prayer what? Your prayer's been heard. So let's pray right now. And the worship band's going to come and they're going to close us with this great, great song. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And this is not a symbolic close. This is not a transition. Father, we pray now that you'd help us to offer this up with sincerity, this prayer that we would receive you this Christmas season. Father, we pray for all of the the things that would blur our vision. Some of those things that are more in the category of of trivial, just all the craziness, all of the, the, the extra things added to our schedule. Father, we pray for the things that are a step up from that. We pray for the big decisions, the extra workload, And Father, we certainly lift up health concerns, losses, relationships that scare us as we see the direction they're going or wound us, hurt us. Father, we thank you that you've given us this example of a prayer that was heard. And that wasn't just for him, that was for all of us. Thank you that you hear each and every one of our prayers. We offer them up to you, including this prayer right now that you would descend on us and help us to experience even a little of that wonder right here, right now. Help us to start this year right, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.